Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Kareen, and we are two octucks. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about metastatic colon cancer, and we will include what you need to know regarding molecular studies, the treatment of metastatic colon cancer, surgery for ogliometastatic disease, and all of it, the high key points for the boards. This was a very high yield topic. I feel like I had probably five to 10 questions on metastatic colon cancer on my actual boards. So what influences how you treat metastatic colon cancer? There's many variables that go into this uh, answer, including patients' comorbidities, their age, their performance status, their goals of care, and the tumor characteristics. For most patients, our goal in this circumstance with metastatic disease is to extend their life and also maintain their quality of life. And thankfully, the survival of patients who have metastatic colon cancer has greatly improved in the last decade. And so let's get right to the meat of it. What chemotherapy backbones do we use for metastatic colon cancer? One concept I like to remember for treating stage four colon cancer is that patients benefit from access to all active agents. I was taught to think about metastatic colon cancer kind of like a chess game. So remember all the pieces that you have and think about using them strategically one at a time because in metastatic colon cancer, this is a marathon, not a sprint, and we need to maximize each trial or each therapy that we have in our hands. So the big two backbones of chemotherapy to use are full FOX and full theory. So combination chemotherapy regimens with a 5-FU backbone. There has been studies comparing full FOX to full theory to try to determine which one is better and also looking at the sequencing of full FOX then full theory or vice versa. And the bottom line is that both regimens show prolonged overall survival and very similar efficacy. So it's really dealer's choice. In Europe, they generally use full theory a little bit more commonly in the front line. Here in North America and especially the United States, for whatever style preference, we use full fox most commonly in the first line setting for metastatic colon cancer. Another important thing to note when we think about the backbone chemotherapy regimens in this population is that infusional 5-FU is equivalent to capecitabine. I talked about this before in the local colon cancer podcast episode, and it still holds true in this one. They both do better than bolus 5-FU, which is a traditional historic way of giving 5-FU, and they're interchangeable and equivalent. So full FOX can be KPOX, full theory, not generally K-theory, and we'll talk about why um, later down. And the next topic is what are the notable toxicities with full FOX and full theory? I definitely know I had at least three, four questions on these. Yeah. So we will break these regimens apart, starting with the common backbone, which is 5-FU. 5-FU is an old drug and its mechanism of action is that it inhibits thymidylate synthesis. And the reason we pair it sometimes with leucovorin is not why we give leucovorin in methotrexate in the hematologic setting, which is a rescue from the toxicities of the methotrexate. In this circumstance, leucovorin actually inhibits enhances the effects of 5-FU by stabilizing its binding to thymidylate synthase and thus preventing that 5-FU from being immediately degraded and excreted from the body. 
One notable toxicity with 5-FU that is not common but potentially testable is vasospasm of the cardiac vessels. This happens during this 48-hour infusion, so when the patients go home with the pump or during the bolus when they're in the infusion chair, and it can feel very similar to a heart attack. In fact, we cannot tell the two apart. So if you ever get that call in the middle of the night with chest pressure, chest pains, tell them to go to the ER because we don't know the two apart. The most important thing to note with 5-FU toxicity is DPD deficiency, which is an autosomal recessive condition, and it can cause severe neutropenias, mucositis, diarrhea, and cardiac toxicities if 5-FU is given. The second question that you can be asked is how do we treat a patient with DPD deficiency who unfortunately got 5-FU unknowingly and has these side effects? The treatment for this is uridine triacetate. What uridine triacetate is, it's a competitive inhibitor of 5-FU. So it actually blocks that binding, thus reducing the severity of these side effects. Capecitabine, which is a pro-drug of 5-FU, its most common toxicities are hand-foot syndrome, mucositis, skin and nail changes, and GI symptoms such as abdominal cramping and diarrhea. You cannot use capecitabine if your creatinine clearance is less than 30. That's an important cutoff to note and a very testable cutoff to note. In addition to 5-FU backbones, we have two other drugs that we combine in the metastatic colon cancer setting. The first one is oxaliplatin, which like its cousins, cisplatin and carboplatin, it blocks the DNA replications with crosslinks, thus leading to apoptosis. All of the platinum drugs, including oxaliplatin, are renally cleared, so you need to dose reduce if the creatinine clearance is less than 30. And also the side effects that are notable is cold sensitivity. So when these patients get the infusion, if they reach right into the freezer or chug a cold glass of water or it's the middle of winter, they're going to get numbness and tingling in their fingertips, their toes, or down their esophagus. What This generally goes away in one to two days after the infusion, but what you can see over time with repeated doses of oxaliplatin is peripheral neuropathy that is not cold-induced, and this is really the rate-limiting toxicity of giving this drug. At some point, you're going to have to dose-reduce for this and drop the drug completely because you don't want to cause permanent peripheral neuropathy in these patients. You also can get an infusion reaction with oxaliplatin. This infusion reaction is IgE-mediated, and you see it typically after repeated exposure or doses of the oxaliplatin. The last drug in these regimens is arinotecan, or I like to call it, I run to the can. Arinotecan is a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor. And just like my nickname for it calls, the number one side effect people will note is diarrhea. The diarrhea comes in two flavors. There is early onset diarrhea within one hour of the infusion, even while they're still sitting in that infusion chair, you know, they're going to say, I'm feeling cramping and I'm feeling like diarrhea. This is a cholinergic effect from the drug. And we treat this by utilizing atropine. There is a second flavor of the diarrhea with arinotecan, and this is late onset that happens a few days after their infusion. And we treat this with drugs like Imodium, Lamotil, just to slow that down to prevent these patients from getting dehydrated or getting electrolyte abnormalities. What you need to know also with arinotecan is that if the patient harbors a gene mutation in the UGT1A128 gene, this is also known as Gilbert's, 
they have reduced excretion of the drug. This is autosomal recessive. And if someone is homozygous for UGT1A128 gene, it increases the patient's risk of neutropenias with arinotecan. Yeah, that's the, all these points uh, were highly testable. And as I mentioned, I definitely had a question on DPD deficiency, the mechanisms of action of leucovorin, uh, among some of the other points that Sam noted. And so what biomarkers guide our targeted therapy in metastatic colon cancer? For every patient with metastatic colon cancer, we should routinely be testing these patients for RAS mutations, BRAF mutations, HER2 status, PDL1, MSI status, and NTRAC fusions. Identifying these in a tumor will help us guide what drugs will respond and what drugs won't respond in these patients. Another big thing that we talk about in metastatic colon cancer is sightedness. Where did this tumor come from? If a tumor came from the right side of the colon that goes up to the splenic flexion, those tumors are more likely to be serrated. They're more likely to be MSI high, harbor mutations in BRAF or RAS, and they actually have worse outcomes. This guides our uh, therapeutic decisions because these patients can still benefit from adding bevacizumab, but they do not benefit from adding an EGFR inhibitor. As opposed to the worst playing right-sided tumors, the left side of the colon, if the tumor came from there, they're more likely to do better and benefit from EGFR inhibitors. They're also more likely to have an overexpression of HER2. Yeah, so make sure you remember your left side and the more common wild-type uh, mutation status. And so what are targeted therapies that we can add to chemo in stage 4 colon cancer? The first one I want to talk about is VEGF inhibitors. The three drugs we need to know in this category are bevacizumab, aflibercept, and ramucirumab. These are usually cytostatic over cytotoxic drugs, and they're utilized great in the maintenance setting. You can add bevacizumab to Fulfox or Kpox, and we've seen in trials that this increases median progression-free survival and also median overall survival. An interesting fact with VEGF inhibitors is you can also utilize them beyond progression. So if you added chemo plus a VEGF inhibitor in the first line and they progressed, switch the chemo around and you can keep them on a VEGF inhibitor and they still see benefit. There was one trial called the TRIBE2 trial that actually looked at Fulfox Erie, the kitchen sink approach of chemotherapy, plus bevacizumab, and they saw benefit. So if you need quick, robust responses to chemo in a patient with high tumor burden, this is an option for them. These benefits do not come without risk. So bevacizumab side effects include hypertension, perforation, important if that primary tumor is still in place, you don't want a bowel perf, fistulas, and bleeding. Another thing you need to know about bevacizumab, not necessarily a side effect, but it has a very long half-life. So this drug lingers in patient's body for weeks. This is something that you will be tested on. And if patients ever need any surgical interventions, they cannot have this drug for six weeks prior. The second flavor of um, targeted therapies is EGFR inhibitors. The two drugs we commonly talk about in metastatic colon cancer is cetuximab and panitumumab. You can only use EGFR inhibitors if the tumor is RAS wild type. Many trials have shown this, and time and time again, these patients have to be RAS wild type in order to see benefit from an EGFR inhibitor. It's not just KRAS, which is the most common RAS mutation that we see in colon cancer, but also NRAS and HRAS too. 
Another thing to note is that to have EGFR inhibitors be efficacious in metastatic colon cancer, the patient's tumor needs to be BRAF V600 He wild type and be negative for HER2 overexpression. So one last time, RAS mutated tumors lack benefit with EGFR inhibitors. And the reason they lack benefit is because the RAS um, mechanism is actually downstream to the EGFR. So it doesn't matter if you block that EGFR downstream, that RAS is going to keep those cancer cells turning and, and doing their thing. So you actually have not blocked the mechanism. You've unfortunately only blocked upstream. There was one trial, which is the, the CRYSTAL trial in New England Journal of Medicine that looked at chemo plus cetuximab versus chemo alone in RAS wild type, and we saw improved progression-free survival. So this is a tried and true targeted therapy you can add to, to chemo. The side effects for these EGFR inhibitors include rash, very common. A maybe positive side effect is these patients can get very long eyelashes. They can have diarrhea. They can have allergic reactions. And one last thing to note about this drug is that there is benefit of monotherapy EGFR inhibitors in a select population. So these are not robust patients who can't handle chemotherapy. You can still give them monotherapy with EGFR inhibition. Great points. And so we've covered the RAS mutations. And so what about BRAF mutations? Do these also happen in colon cancer? Yes, BRAF B600E, we most commonly hear about in melanoma, but it's also found in 5 to 15% of metastatic colon cancer cases. It is mutually exclusive with KRAS, and the most important thing you need to know about BRAF mutations is they have a worse prognosis. They can metastasize not only to the more common places like liver and lung, but they can also metastasize to the peritoneum, distant lymph nodes, and the brain. They lack benefit from EGFR monotherapy, but the breakthrough trial that you need to burn into your brain is the BEACON trial, which was published in New England Journal of Medicine in 2019. There was three arms to this trial. The first one was a triplet with encarafenib, which is RAF inhibition, benimetinib, which is MEK inhibition, plus cetuximab. They compared it to doublet encarafenib plus cetuximab. And then the, the control arm was chemotherapy plus cetuximab. What the results showed is that the the overall response rates for the doublet and triplet were similar compared to the control arm, which was only 2%. The median overall survival for the triplet regimen and the doublet regimen were exactly the same, and they were better than the control arm. So this trial led to the approval of encarafenib plus cetuximab in previously treated metastatic BRAF-mutated colorectal cancers. And so what other targets can we utilize in colon cancer? I don't think this is very high yield, but it's something that we should be aware of. Um, you can also see HER2 overexpression in 4% of metastatic colon cancers. You can utilize combinations of HER2-targeted therapies in these, um, these cases, such as trastuzumab plus pertuzumab or trastuzumab plus lopatinib. You can also see the very rare NTRAC fusion in metastatic colon cancer. It's only 1% of cases, but it is targetable with drugs like larotrectinib and entrectinib. Yeah, I remember NTRAC with those drugs uh, can also show up in other tumor types. Um, and so we've covered the mainstay for second and sometimes third line regimen. So what are some of the later lines of treatment in colon cancer? 
So again, going back to that chess, what pieces do we have left to play? And after we've played our, you know, first and second and third line key key components, what we have left is a, a pill drug called trifluoridine plus tipuracil. Brand name is Lonsurf, much easier to, to pronounce. And the side effects with this drug are cytopenias, GI toxicities, and fatigue. A second pill drug that we have is a multi-kinase inhibitor called regorafenib. Side effects notable with this is hand-foot syndrome, hypertension, diarrhea, and fatigue. Rarely, we can see Lynch syndrome in these metastatic colon cancer patients. This is also those patients with MSI high or deficiency in mismatch repair. We can utilize immunotherapy in this. And so you can use pembrolizumab in first and later line therapies. You can use nivolumab with or without uh, ipilimumab. And the most important thing to note is that with these metastatic colon cancer patients, always think about clinical trials. These patients will live longer and they generally have a robust performance status as long as we can maintain them. So always be thinking about clinical trials. And that is a highly testable question. Um, If someone's been through a few standard lines of therapy and they still are functional, clinical trial is the right answer. Yeah. If clinical trial is an answer choice, always pick that. Um, And so this brings us to oligometastatic disease. Um, How are those treated? This is really the needle in the haystack, but very rarely we can cure some patients with limited metastatic colorectal cancer. This is generally if they have limited disease to their liver alone, they have a limited number of METs, they're able to obtain negative margins with good surgical resection and have enough healthy liver left behind to to live. How we utilize chemotherapy, either neoadjuvantly or adjuvantly in these settings, is up to debate. These The timing of the chemo is not well established, so I don't think it's testable for your boards. The use of biologics in this setting is also unclear. You can use things like cetuximab or bevacizumab, um, but again, you need to make sure you stop that bev six weeks prior to any surgery because of the long half-life and complications. I think the only testable thing they can say is that in limited metastatic disease, you potentially have a curative surgery, um, followed by adjuvant chemotherapy, similar to the earlier stages of colon cancer. So we covered a ton and this episode is extremely high yield. We definitely listen to it, you know, a few days before your boards. So what are some of our key takeaways? The key points in treating metastatic colon cancer is to know that Fulfox and Fulfiri are equivalent in efficacy and safety in, in this setting. KPOX and KPERI, although, are not the same in safety. You see a lot more diarrhea with KPERI because arenatecan causes diarrhea and capecitabine causes diarrhea. So it's not routinely used. Targeted therapies can be added to these chemo backbones, and this is based on the patient's mutational profile and the sidedness of their colon cancer. So in general, left-sided, better player colon cancers that are RAS wild type, BRAF wild type, HER2 negative, you can add EGFR inhibitors in the first-line setting. You can also consider VEGF inhibitors in select patients, but that's not usually the high-yield testing question. In right-sided tumors that generally perform for or have a worse prognosis, you do not use EGFR inhibitors, but you can use VEGF inhibitors like bevacizumab in the first-line setting with chemotherapy. BRAF V600E mutated metastatic colon cancer that have been previously treated, you think of the Beacon trial, and the approved doublet of RAF and EGFR inhibitors and carafinib plus cetuximab. 
In the Lynch syndrome population that are MSI high or deficient in mismatch repair, think about immunotherapy. Later line medications and metastatic colon cancer, we have regorafenib and we have Lonserf. And some liver metastatic only colorectal cancer patients can be cured with resection and adjuvant chemotherapy. So we know this was a bit of a longer episode, but extremely high yield, as I mentioned earlier. Um, So as always, thank you for listening and good luck with studying in with your boards. And please feel free to reach out to us with any corrections or comments on our Instagram to OncDocs. And we hope to have you tune in next week. Bye, guys.